The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. You may have noticed as you walked in, the, the cross is at the head of the table. The cross has been the symbol of the Christian faith for 2,000 years. We see the cross many times in our lives as we drive down the road. We decorate our homes with the cross. We make jewelry in the form of a cross. The cross is an an emblem of suffering and shame. Yet we've come to know it as a symbol of grace and forgiveness. Amen? The history of the world, the cross of Jesus Christ, has brought both hatred and indifference. Others see the cross as maybe the most precious thing, maybe the most valuable and the most intrinsic beauty of the love of God who would pour out himself for those who would follow him. Much of God's word is devoted to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's One of the earliest things written about Jesus is the cross, and and it's found in actually 1 Corinthians 15. And so tonight, I want to look at one simple phrase out of one simple verse in 1 Corinthians 15, but this one phrase, these five words, would actually God would give us to set us free, to actually uh, have power within our lives. I want you to look at it with me. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll pick it up in verse 3. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, he says, For what I delivered to you as of first importance... He says, I'm going to tell you a lot of things. I wrote a lot of things. I want to encourage you in a lot of things. But out of everything that I've ever told you, everything that we've ever talked about, this is first importance. Look at what it says. This is first importance, what what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Tonight. I want us to think about those five words. I want to talk to you about those five powerful words. Christ died for our sins. God says that this is first importance. Paul says this is first importance. There's nothing more important for you and I to understand in the center of our lives is that Christ died for our sins. That's why we're here tonight. It answers the who, it answers the what, it answers the why. So let's start with the who. Let's start with Christ. We're talking about Jesus Christ, of course. Christ is not his last name, it is his title. And so his name, Jesus, actually means salvation. It means God is my Savior. Christ, being his title, means anointed one or chosen one or Messiah. So his name literally means salvation, the chosen one of God, the Savior of the world. For those of you who do not know him, let me introduce you to him. That's why you are here tonight to know Jesus Christ. Uh, Listen, he lived 2,000 years ago. 
for about 30 years of his life. We're not real sure how it went or where it went, but we know that three years were devoted to ministry, earthly ministry, and we know that in these three short years of ministry, that it would change the world and it would change you and I forever and ever. He accomplished more in his life than anyone in the history of the world. He was born of God. He was born to a woman named Mary. His dad was a carpenter. He was poor. He was not rich. He never married, and he had no children. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles away from his home. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never commanded an army. But the little bit of money that he did have was oftentimes uh, stolen by his pretend friend, Judas Iscariot. Jesus made some extraordinary claims in his three years of ministry. Let me just go over a few of them with you. These are claims that no other religious leader or no one else could ever rightly claim. Jesus says, I came down from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, he says I actually live a life that is without sin. And he invited anyone to accuse him of any sin. And no one could. The Bible says that everyone remains silent. He told people to pray to him, and in his name, he would answer them. Jesus says that I have authority to forgive sin. No one else could say that. Jesus says I'm the one who gives eternal life. Jesus says I'm the only way to heaven. Jesus said God and the Father and I are one, and that we should worship him. And if we don't worship him, the rocks would actually cry out and praise him. He also says that in his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He says that as he's lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. He is Jesus the Lord. Jesus in his life, he also faced some extraordinary obstacles. Religious leaders would falsely accuse him, constantly bring death threats against him. Political leaders despise him. People were jealous of him. He was abandoned by those he served, and he was uh, betrayed by those he fed, and he was actually betrayed by one of his own. Isaiah tells us that he was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Nonetheless, Jesus had made and is making the greatest impact in the history of all the world. This man, Jesus. Unlike other religions who have a place that they go to for their headquarters, we don't have a place, but we have a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus we can meet with anywhere and everywhere, anytime and every time, because Jesus is God. There are people, there are leaders, there are movements, and there are nations, and they have all come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ will always remain. It will endure the test of time even until Jesus comes back. His church is made up of billions of people who confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is the most diverse movement in all the history of the world. There's more languages, more nations, more people groups following this God-man, Jesus Christ. At the turn of the century in 1999, in April, right around Easter time, Newsweek magazine did a cover story declaring Jesus Christ as the man of the millennium. Let me tell you, he's more than that. Jesus is not just a good man, he's a God man, and he will be for all eternity, Jesus, the Christ. And so that's the who. Let's talk about the what. Christ died. That brings us to the cross. Just on Sunday, we read about crowds chanting Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
But on this night, they would cry, crucify him. The Bible gives us few details about crucifixion, but crucifixion was a public state-sponsored execution. Jesus wasn't the only one crucified. The entire goal of crucifixion was to instill fear and terror into anyone who would look upon the cross and see the punishment that was inflicted by the Romans. According to historians, a crucifixion was invented as a torturous method of slow, painful death. Eventually, what was invented by the Persians was perfected by the Romans. They're the ones who added the crossbar. They were the ones who added the nails to the most sensitive nerves in the body, the hands and the feet. Also trying to extract the greatest amount of pain while extending the greatest amount of suffering and making it as long as possible. At the cross of Christ, Roman soldiers would gamble for garments to make light of what was uh, being painfully executed. Crucifixion was slow. It was death by asphyxiation, which means you would hang on the cross for so long and be so weary and so tired that you couldn't actually pull yourself up to fill your lungs with breath so you would actually eventually suffocate on your own spit and vomit and blood. You hang there in such fatigue, you can't take a breath. The people would pass out in and out of consciousness for upwards of nine days. And then the climate and the heat and the winds, dehydration sets in. It is a painful, painful death. All of which was as done openly and publicly and shamefully as possible. They tried to do the crucifixions where the large people would gather because it would be more shocking, more horrifying than anyone would ever betray Rome. The pain was so intense that we didn't actually have a word to describe it, so we had to devise a word to explain it. We used the word excruciating. It literally means from the cross. Crucifixion was historically regarded as the most wretched of all deaths. And the Bible tells us that the night before Jesus was crucified, he knew that his cross was coming and he was praying, he was anxious, he was alone, he felt isolated, he was abandoned, he was suffering, so much so that the Bible says that he was actually sweating droplets of blood. And the religious leaders would come and they would arrest him in the covering of night and they would blindfold him and they would brutally beat him and try him. So now he's bleeding, now he's sleepless, now he's exhausted. And they take him and the Bible says that they scourged him. Jesus was stripped nearly naked. He was chained or tied to a pole. They do this to, to open up the entire neck area and back and legs being exposed to the scourging. On each side, a soldier with long strips of leather were, were long hooks or metal or bone. And so they would dink into the, the tissue of the man being scourged and they would rip it out so much so that you could actually see what was underneath. The crown of thorns was placed upon his head in order to mock him. King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, he saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. There. He's brought before the crowds once again. But instead of crying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're crying out for his death. Jesus was given his crossbar to carry through the streets. 
Halfway beaten, he stumbled, trying to get his breath. The path through the streets is literally called the Via della Rosa, which means the way of the cross. Jesus then arrives to his place of execution. They continue to mock him. They spit upon him. They pull the beard out of his face, trying to take his dignity. They curse him. They jeer him. Ultimately, they nail him. And his body was uncontrollably uh, suffering as he's lifted to the cross. They drop the cross into a hole. All the while, Jesus is saying, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Over a period of time, he's gasping and suffering. And the crowd is placing bets on how long he's going to last. Jesus ultimately suffers. And with his last breath, he says, it is finished. And then Jesus dies upon the cross. But to ensure that he was dead, the Roman executioner took a spear and ran it under his ribcage, up through his side to puncture his heart sack. And it says that the, the, the water and the blood flowed from his side down upon the cross. Let me tell you something, friend. The point of the cross and crucifixion is death. That's why it's there. Christ, that's the who, died, that's the what, for our sins. That's the why. Christ died for our sins. When it comes to sin, we need to understand first and foremost that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is good, and that God is just. And our God has a good, perfect, holy law that he's giving us, and God's law is unchanging. And so let me just tell you right off the bat, you're not the highest authority. What you think doesn't matter, only what is true. Jesus says, I am the truth. None of you will die and stand before a mirror and give an account to yourself. You're not the creator. You're not the redeemer. You're not the savior. You're not the judge. God is. Some of you say, only God can judge me. He will judge you. Absolutely. The ultimate God, he's perfect. God doesn't edit his laws. He gets it right the first time. It doesn't matter what your feelings say, what the culture says, what your degree says, what politicians say. It only matters what the word of God says. And it says that everyone and everything will be judged by the word of God. And sin is breaking the word of God. Many churches, they won't talk about sin. Sometimes if we do talk about sin, it'll be like a systemic sin. One that everyone kind of struggles with, but not personal sin, not your sin, not my sin. Because we all want to be victims, but we overlook the fact that we're actually all villains. We've actually all betrayed God. We've all walked out on God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. We are adulterers against God. By nature and by choice, you are not a good person. You are a bad person, according to God. 
You're not born a friend of God, you're born an enemy of God. You're not born blessed, you're actually born cursed. You're not born under freedom, you're born under condemnation. You're not born faultless, you're born guilty. You're not born under mercy, you're actually born under wrath because we've all born under sin. We've inherited a sin. We sin by nature and by choice. The sin by nature and by choice is inherited by the sin nature of our first father, Adam. Through Adam, we are all born under sin, but we can be born again under Jesus Christ and be set free from sin. Isn't that good news? The Bible speaks of sin. It uses words like rebellion and treason and spiritual adultery. It talks about missing the mark and wandering from the path. It uses words like idolatry and pride and selfishness and blindness and deafness, a hard heart, a stiff neck, unreasonableness, and self-worship. If you disagree, you prove my point. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short the glory of God. Sin is both a condition and an action. Sin is not just what we do, it's who we are apart from Jesus Christ. It includes not only our desires, but our motives. Sin is an action, but it also includes your thoughts. Did you know God knows your thoughts? God hears every word you've ever spoken, every motive you've ever had. Nothing is hidden from the sight of God, which means there's no part of you that you can trust. You can't follow your heart, it is deceitful and wicked. You can't follow your mind, it is hostile toward the truth of God. Sin includes not only the things you do, but the things that you don't do. Sin is doing the things that God tells us not to do and not doing the things that God tells us to do. Sin is doing wrong and failing to do right. Which leads us to the truth that Christ died for our sins. That word for is very significant and that word are is very personal. It moves us from an historical fact that a man named Jesus died on a cross to a very personal application for those of you and I who would believe in him. Because God is righteous and just, there is a penalty for sin. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is actually death. It's a spiritual death that culminates in a physical death and we all sin, which means we all die. And so the biggest problem that you and I have is a death problem. Stimulus checks, vaccinations, CDC guidelines, not gonna save you from death. So our, our goal in this life is not to just live a while longer, but rather to live for eternity in the name of Jesus Christ. Only God can save us from sin and death. How does he do that? By providing a substitute. We need a perfect one. We need a righteous one. We need one who had never sinned that would be willing to come and take the penalty of sin for those who, us, who do sin and he would need to be perfect and righteous and sacrifice himself in our place. So God saves us from sin and death by providing a substitute for our sin and for our death, which is, brings us right to the point, Christ died for our sins. He's the substitute. Jesus took our place and he puts you in his place if you would believe. This is the great exchange. Second Corinthians 5 says God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. On the cross, the sinless Christ substituted himself for us and what that means is that the cross of Christ is actually what you deserve. 
It's the penalty that we owe. But Jesus, out of love, was willing to endure it. Jesus, out of love for us, was willing to endure the cross, the wrath of God, so that you and I could not, would not have to taste death. He died so that we might live. He was separated from the Father so that you and I could be united to the Father, reconciled to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. But we need to come to understand that Christ died for our sins. So if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, listen, he substituted himself on the cross, that means you're forgiven, and that your sins are taken away. The Bible uses this word, atoned for. It's the penalty has been satisfied. What's the penalty? It is the wrath of God being poured out upon the Son of God so that you and I could become children of God. And here's why it says that it's first important. Let me tell you why this is most important for us tonight. Because either Jesus is punished for your sin or you will be punished because of your sin. That's the case for every human being. There is no escape around it. It is not a scale system. It is either righteous or unrighteous, and there's only one righteous one, and that is Jesus Christ, and we need him. Now, the culture may say, you know what? It's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Let me tell you something, friend. In the end, you will reign nowhere. Satan rules nowhere. He rules nothing. Satan rules no one. When it's all said and done, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. The same Jesus who died is returning to judge the living and the dead. And he will put to death everyone who has failed to trust in him. The truth is, Jesus Christ rules in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, both on the earth and under the earth, for the glory of God. And so either Jesus is Lord over all or he's not Lord at all. And I'm here to tell you, he is Lord over all. And, and, and he will yield nothing to no one or no enemy can survive him. And so here's, here's the good news. This is why we call it Good Friday is because Christ died for your sins. And so that you and I don't have to earn something we can't earn or deserve something we don't deserve, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be clothed with his righteousness. And here's why it's first importance. Revelation 14 Verse 10 and 11, it says, those who do not receive Jesus will drink the cup of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the presence of the lamb. That's Jesus. It just told us that Jesus rules over hell also. Listen, you're not saved from your self-esteem. You're not saved from, from missing your potential. You're not saved from your negative feelings. You are saved from God, by God, for God. Praise be to Jesus Christ. 
We are saved from the wrath of God, by the grace of God, ultimately for the glory of God and the worship of God and the praise of God. And ultimately, the wrath of God will be poured out on the Son of God for you, or the wrath of God will be poured out on you by rejecting the Son of God. Listen, my job is to tell you the truth. Your job is to make a decision. God's wrath is passive. It is also active. What I mean by passive is that he will continue to allow you to do what you do. That's his passive wrath. You want to walk out and give no acknowledgement, no, no hearing to the word of God or no submission to it? He will allow you to do that for a moment. God's passive wrath is where he allows you to be you and it means that no one is getting away with anything. Revelation says everyone is storing up wrath for the day of wrath. He uses this analogy of a cup. There's a cup. Every day, every sin is added to the cup. There's a cup that's boiling over with the wrath of God against the sin of you, there is a cup in the presence of God with your name on it and it includes all of your sin. One of two things will happen. Either Jesus drinks that cup upon the cross or you will drink that cup in judgment forever. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was so overwhelmed because he knew he had to drink the cup. Remember what he said? Father, if there is any way that this cup would pass from me, let it be. But not my will, your will be done. He's praying in anguish. He's asking, this cup is heavy to drink. Friends, that is your cup. That is the cup with your name on it. It is the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus went to the, the cross and he drank every drop of the cup of those who would confess and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you would belong to him and believe in him. He drinks your cup for you. Do not be deceived. God will not be not mocked. God is true, let every man be a liar. If you reject what is most and first importance, then the cup with your name on it is still full. So the question that I want every person to wrestle with tonight is will you make a decision to receive Jesus Christ in your place? It is the first importance that Christ died for your sin? Would you receive it for yourself that Christ died for our sin? That Christ died for your sin? That Christ died for my sin? That is the most important decision you will ever make over your entire life. And I pray that if you've never done that, that tonight would be the night that you receive that Christ died for your sin. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
he was gathering with his boys at the table. We have a table set for you tonight. At this table, he wanted to remind us of the sacrifice that he would make. After giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. When you take and you eat of this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the symbol of the new covenant. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, this is my blood. Take and drink. And when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. That's exactly why we're here. Tonight, on this Good Friday night, I'm going to ask that you would search your heart. See to it that you are in the faith. If tonight is the first night that you have ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is a celebration for you. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask that you would partake in the celebration of communion. And as we do, you can make two lines down this middle here, circle around the back and the sides back to your rows. But there's bread that you'll break. You can dip it in the cup. We have individual packaged communion sets for those of you who want to partake that way. But as you come down, there's four sets. You can line both sides of the table. But when you do, do it with a heart that remembers Christ died for your sins. Let me pray for you. Jesus, tonight we humble our hearts. We look inside, we look inward tonight and ask you, O oh God, by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if we are truly in the faith. Lord, tonight I pray that if there's anyone here that has never put their faith, their trust in those five words that Christ died for my sins, that tonight they would respond to you in faith. Lord, tonight as we come to your altar, as we bow our hearts before you, I wanna just simply take a moment and be still and let you speak to us. Lord, would you speak? Lord, would you move? Lord, would you lead us into repentance? Would you help us confess?
Right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is hugging. Pulling. God is wooing and calling to some of you. If you're here tonight, you would simply say, I need Jesus in my place. If you're here tonight and you would confess, I need Jesus to be my substitute. I need Jesus to be my Lord. I believe that Christ died for my sins and I want to receive that for myself tonight. If that's you and you're here tonight and you just simply confess that, I'm just going to ask that you would just raise your hand and put it right back down because you're responding to God and say, Lord, that is me. You see my heart. You see my life. there anybody that would say, that's me. That's me. God, I need you. Yes. If you need special prayer tonight, there'll be prayer partners in the back. But tonight as we move to respond, I pray that the Lord would grab hold of you in this night, forgive you, wash you, cleanse you, make you pure and holy, and that you can come to his table without guilt or without shame, but with worship and joy, believing with all of your heart and confessing with all of your mouth that Christ died for your sins. We pray this as your people and your church in Jesus' name, amen. Again, whenever...